If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Haggai tonight. So if you'll open to the prophet Haggai. Uh, if you're like me and you still need to use your table of contents at times, it's all right. Haggai is the third to last book of your Old Testament. Micah is your last book. And then two books prior to that is the book of Haggai. As you guys turn there, uh, for those of y'all who may not know me, my name is Trey Corey. I'm our Southwood College pastor. I also do a lot with our small groups. And so if you've been in small groups here, even at Anderson, you've probably seen me at some point. But it's a joy to be with you guys tonight. Jamie filled in for Matt this morning. Uh, and I'm filling in for Jamie, who was filling in for Matt. So, uh, and yet it's still great to be with you guys tonight. We're going to be in the book of Haggai, and I think it's really appropriate for us to be in the book of Haggai tonight. What we're going to find in the book of Haggai is we're going to see a, a critical point in the nation of Israel's history. There's a point in time in which they encountered great transition. There's a gigantic transition for the nation of Israel. We're going to see kind of how they walk through that tonight. Um, and I think it's really relevant to us because for all of us here in just about at least three more days, all of us are going to experience some kind of transition. Uh, at the very li- minimum, some of you guys are going to have at least a week and a half of a break before you guys are back here for summer school. And if that's you, I'm so sorry. Uh, but for those of y'all who aren't going to have that curse, you guys are going to be away. A lot of you guys may be at a camp experience this summer. Some of y'all may be overseas. Some of y'all may be in internships and your summer is going to look very different than this year. Some of y'all who are incredibly fortunate are graduating from this great place and you're taking off. And if that's you, congratulations. Uh, let me just say as you guys take off uh, that as much as we are excited to see you guys take off and to see you guys sent out from here, uh, hopefully equipped, hopefully with a vision for the world, hopefully ready to make an impact for Jesus Christ, even as you guys leave, know that it comes with great sadness for us. This is a great time of year and that our whole vision is to see you guys sent out, whether that's over the summer or whether that's over graduation. But even as you guys leave us, that's also a point of sadness for us. We hate to see you guys go. Uh, this town becomes a ghost town in the summer, which is kind of fun for about a couple weeks. And then we miss you guys. All right. So, uh, but wherever you are in those transitions, all of us are going to have something looks entirely different here in about three or four days uh, than what you've been walking through all spring and all fall. And the question is, how will you transition? What will your transition look like? And will you transition well? We're going to see a critical point of transition in the life of Israel. And yet we're going to see in that critical point, they're not going to transition well. And the question will be why? Look with me, if you will, Haggai chapter one, verse one. We find uh, in chapter one, verse one, we find in the second year of Darius, the king on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says the time has not come even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. We're going to keep trucking through chapter one here in a little while, but I want to set the stage for to get a little better sense of what's going on in the book of Haggai. Haggai actually is a book that's written about 17 years after their initial transition. So in a sense, this book doesn't come in the most timely spot in in correspondence to y'all, but it's going to come in a sense 17 years after your transition, 17 years after Israel's transition, and we're going to look back and see what happened to them. In Haggai, what we're going to find though is that these were a people who were in transition. But in many ways, what we're going to find though in their transition, they're going to fail in their transition, but the question is why? Uh, But before we kind of look at their failure, what I want you guys to see is how they began. According to Old Testament history, what we know is in 586 BC, uh, the Babylonian Empire conquered Israel. And when they conquered Israel, they destroyed the temple, they destroyed Jerusalem, and they took all the Jews out from Jerusalem, out from Judah, out from the southern part of Israel's kingdom, and they deported them and spread them out throughout Asia Minor. And the foreign policy for the Babylonians at the time was that they would not allow Israelites to live within the land. They would not allow this group to remain powerful, to remain consolidated. And so they would scatter them, deport them out so that they couldn't mount resistance back to their empire and eventually try to resist the Babylonian empire. And yet in about 586 or 538 BC, what's going to happen is that the Persians are going to come along and conquer the Babylonians. And it's going to have a great side effect for the nation of Israel. 
Persian foreign policy was that they allowed Israel to not remain deported, not remain exiled, but they allowed Israel to return back to the promised land if they so desired. In fact, we're going to find in Ezra chapter 1 that even the very Persian pagan king of Persia is going to feel called by God. And notice what he says in Ezra chapter 1. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all of his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord. And so what's going to happen in the response to the pagan king of Persia's edict is about 50,000 Jews are going to take off, scattered throughout at that time the Persian empire. They're going to return back to Jerusalem with a vision, with a mission, with a call to rebuild the temple. In fact, according to Ezra chapter 3, we find that their first year in that transition was exceedingly well. Notice what they did in their first year. So they set up the altar on its foundation, for they were terrified because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. They celebrated the Feast of Booze as it is written and offered the fixed number of burnt offerings daily. In their first year of transition, they go back to Jerusalem. They, they lay down the foundation of the temple. They put the altar back on top of that foundation. Then they reinstitute worship. They reinstitute sacrifice. In the first year of the transition, Israel was faring incredibly well. They did great. They responded to the call of God. 50,000 took off. They went back and they began to work hard and work well and responsive to God. But at some point, something happened. What we find as the writer or as the prophet speaks, according to the book of Haggai, we find that 16 years after, actually 17 years after they left for Jerusalem, something changed dramatically. In fact, according to verse 2, we find that the prophet says to them, what's happened? Because at some point you had begun to build the temple, but now you think it's not time to finish and continue to build the temple. What happened to you? Notice even further, we're going to find the reason for their failures. They had a procrastination problem. Look with me, verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You've sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. Lord comes to them through the prophet Haggai and says, hey, what's gone on? You, you return 50,000 of you back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. The first year you laid the foundation. But over the last 16 years, the work has completely ceased and you've done nothing. Why? According to verse 2, he says that you think it's time for you. You don't think it's time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. But what we find according to the rest of, as the prophet speaks, is that they do think it's time to build their own homes. And they begin to procrastinate and they begin to push off that which was most essential. They would return back with a mission, with a call, with a duty and a sense of vision to rebuild the temple. And a year on the ground, a year later, and all of a sudden that mission, that vision has been forgotten. And they've begun to pursue other dreams and other objectives. Why? Why were they doing that? Even more so, I think procrastination is common to you and I. A lot of you guys in the midst of finals, I, I would submit to you guys, at least I noticed for myself during finals, that it was a great time of procrastination, right? You'll do anything not to study, right? I don't know how you guys have wasted hours upon hours this weekend, but I'm sure you found all kinds of creative ways. And some of y'all may have even cleaned your apartments and your homes this weekend, right? Uh, I always found for a lot of people that for whatever reason, their apartments and their homes during finals are the cleanest you'll ever find them, right? Because you will procrastinate and you'll push off studying no matter what it takes, no matter what you have to do, right? Some of you guys have spent hours with movies. Some of you guys have spent hours even on Facebook this weekend. I don't know where you've wasted your time, but you've done anything you can to push off studying. 
In many ways, I think what we're going to find is this not just with finals, but often with the call of God, what can happen over time as we resettle and as we settle in after our transitions that we begin to forget all that God has called us to and even why God sent us somewhere. And so for the, for the people of Israel, notice the contrast that get developed in this section. One of my favorites is in verse 2, and the Lord of hosts says, this people says, and you're going to get a little bit of sarcasm there in a sense, but what I love is the way he addresses his people. Throughout the Old Testament, God is going to refer to Israel as my people, but here he's going to say this people. Notice the way in which he's kind of stiff-arming and distancing himself from his own people. It reminds me a little bit as a child when I would disobey or disappoint my parents, and then my mom and dad would begin to argue as to whose child I was, all right? My mom would begin to say, this child of yours. My dad would say, no, no, this child of yours. They begin to disown me and kind of push me off onto someone else. It's exactly what God is doing to the nation of Israel. He's saying, hey, <laughs> you're not my people. My people are people who are called and commissioned for a purpose, and yet you've forgotten me and you've forgotten my call for the last 16 years. Who are you? In fact, what you're going to see is a series of contrasts. They don't think it's time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt, but they do think it's time to dwell and to build their own homes. In fact, what we find even in this contrast is that the house of the Lord lies desolate while their homes are not just finished, but they're actually paneled. And according to a lot of background, a lot of commentaries, paneling was often a sign not just that the house was finished off, it was one of the last steps of building a home, but it was also a sign often of luxury. So here you have in one hand the house of the Lord that's desolate and unfinished. Yet their own homes were not just finished, but they were luxurious. And they had been that way for the last 16 years. And so finally the Lord comes and says, what's the deal? (laughs) You've forgotten me. You've forgotten my call. You've procrastinated and you've put off that which was most pressing. You've forgotten my call and you've forgotten me. So the prophet Haggai comes and he says, hey, (laughs) wake up. The reason why your circumstances are difficult, the reason why you're not finding satisfaction is because you've forgotten God and you've forgotten his call. In the midst of transition, it's easy for us when we first land and we first begin to remember all that God's called us to and to remember all that God sent us for. But as we begin to settle, as we begin to kind of really get rooted in, we begin to lose sight sometimes of him and we begin to lose sight of his purposes and his call in our life. Notice the solution though in verses 12 and on. Notice what happens. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came, and they worked in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. Notice, they regather And they get mindful again. They show reverence to God. They remember God. They honor him. And as the people gather and as the leadership gathers, all of a sudden the spirit begins to move and they begin to return back to work of what God had called them to. As you guys transition and as you guys face at times the possibility of procrastination, let me challenge you to quickly find a church. Uh, Whether you're just transitioning for a brief time this summer or whether you're graduating and leaving this place and as you transition, let me encourage you, let me exhort you, let me plead with you to find a church quickly. Some of you guys are going to land into big cities either the summer or for post-graduation where there are churches on every corner and you could visit and you could church shop and church hop for over a year. Let me encourage you to find a place and to find a place quickly. You need the people of God and you need a place to worship and it's really significant. Not just to find a church quickly but also beware of materialism. This people that had gathered, that had been sent by God, that had gone back to Jerusalem, all of a sudden I think they got, they got captured, they, they stumbled into the pit of materialism. It was true for them and it's true for you and I. 
you guys, especially those of y'all who are graduating or taking off from this place where you're poor and a slave student and you're taking off to where you're going to be free from the tyranny of professors and you're actually going to have a paycheck, you're going to have money. And the question is, what will you do? You're going to take off from a place where it doesn't matter what you drive because we all drive beat up cars, most of us. It doesn't matter where you live. Some of you live in the most crummy, dirtiest, ridiculous places I've ever seen known to man, all right? And you're going to take off to cities with jobs and you're going to get caught up in a rat race and you're going to get caught up in comparisons looking at what the world has and what the world says you should have. Beware of materialism. Materialism will catch you and before you know it, 16 years will have gone by and you will have lost sight of all that God had called you to and all that he had taught you even in this phase of college. Beware of materialism. Find a church quickly. Beware of procrastination. What we're going to find is that the Spirit of God is going to move and these people of the nation of Israel is going to return back and they're going to begin to work again on the temple. But they're going to find another enemy and another challenge in chapter 2. We're going to find they're going to become a people not just of procrastination, but then a people of comparison. They return back to work, but notice what happens in chapter 2. On the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai. It came by Haggai the prophet saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. They had returned back to work, but they began to compare to what they had seen in the past. Remember, before the Babylonians came in and destroyed the temple and laid it waste, before what they had remembered was the kingdom during Sol- or the temple during Solomon's time. That temple was gigantic. That temple was glorious. That temple paled to all comparisons of what they're looking at right now in the temple that they're building. The 50,000 Jews that returned back to rebuild the temple probably did not have nearly the kinds of resources that Solomon had at the height of Israel's kingdom. So the temple building was probably a lot more smaller. It was a lot more mediocre. It wouldn't have had the glory that the prior temple had. And so they became discouraged comparing back to what they had to what they have now. As you guys transition, whether it's just this summer or whether it's after graduation, I promise you, you will begin at some point to compare your life in college with your life out of college. You'll be thankful for a job, thankful to be making some money, but you're going to look back on this stage of life and think, man, if I could just go back. <laughs> you think right now, if I could just get the heck out of here, I would be so happy, right? And then a day's going to come, you're going to look back and you go, no, no, I wish I could be back in that place. I wish I could have no cares. I could have the freedom of schedule, of time, of responsibilities that I had as a student. Even though, in, in all of that, though, as you transition, the challenge for you and I is that often the way that we compare, what we see with our own eyes is not that of faith, but it is that of judgment. What we see with our own eyes and what they saw with their own eyes did not capture, did not understand, nor even anticipate what God was planning to do in the future. Remember in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel gathered in a temple to worship and to sacrifice, and the very presence and the glory of God was resonant there locally and physically. If they wanted to see the glory of God, they went to the temple because that's where they worshipped. And yet a day was going to come when the temple of God would not be just for Jews, but it would be for Jews and Gentiles. And the Spirit of God in our day and time doesn't reside just in a physical temple, in a church building, but it resides with the body of Christ. In verse 9, notice what he says. He says, The latter glory of this house will be even greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. He says, Look, you cannot estimate rightly even as you compare. And as you transition, and as you make comparisons, let me plead with you that what you see may not entail and may not capture all that God is preparing and planning to do. You're going to leave this place this summer or for graduation. And I'll tell you, this is one of the most unique places, I think, on the face of the earth. <laughs> Not just because of Texas A&M and because of Blend, but I think in many ways because of the way that the Spirit of God moves in this place and the way that we get to see so much in your lives and even in our own lives. 
And as you take off to a job, as you take off to a camp, as you take off to a nannying job, wherever you're taking off and whatever you're doing, you're going to be challenged to look back and compare to what you've seen here, wondering whether God is the same and whether God is working in the same kinds of ways that you've seen here. And the temptation you'll have is to compare. Let me plead with you, let me challenge you that what you compare and what you see is not by faith, but it's by sight. And the way that you compare often doesn't anticipate all that God is planning to do because they couldn't have imagined in the Old Testament that God's presence one day would reside with his people. Not in a physical location, but with his people so that wherever his people go, so his spirit goes and his glory goes. And in particular for you, as you take off from this place, the spirit of God doesn't stay right here, but it takes off with you because you are the body of Christ. And so wherever you're going to be this summer, wherever you're going to be post-college, after graduation, so the Spirit of God moves and so you are a representative of Jesus Christ. And so let me plead with you and challenge you as we wrap up tonight to share the gospel. Our mission and vision as a church is to raise up the next generation of leaders to reach our world for Christ. You are those leaders. You are the next generation and you are taking off from our midst and our hope, our vision, our desire is that you would reach the world for Christ. So where you go as you represent Christ, share the gospel. The gospel of good news, the gospel that Jesus Christ died and was resurrected, showing not just the ability to forgive sins, but the ability to rescue us from sins and to redeem us as well. He is not just redeemer, he is restorer. And as you take off, you are but a highlight and a picture of all that Christ is preparing to do in people's lives. You are the voice and the representative for him. You are made in his image, you are being restored to his glory, and you are his representative, his ambassador. So wherever you go, As you take the spirit of God, as you represent him, speak forth the gospel. Declare it boldly, declare it graciously, declare it winsomely. Uh, Not just that, but represent him well in whatever way that you're serving, in whatever way that you're walking life out. Some of you guys this summer are going to be taking off overseas on a mission trip. Some of you guys will be in jobs. Some of you guys will be in internships. Some of you guys will be in summer school. Whether it's what you're doing this summer or what you're doing after college graduation, all of you guys are stepping into different places. And so wherever you step, honor him and serve him well in that place. If you're going to be in an internship, in a job in corporate America, be an amazing employee. Serve with integrity, serve with excellence, so that when you speak forth the truth of the gospel of Christ, your work and your career does not provide a hindrance to what men and women hear, what men and women see. May you represent him well. What I want to do as we kind of close out this morning is I'm going to have a couple of seniors here and come up and they're going to kind of share with you a little bit about their transition. Uh, a couple of people who are graduating, uh, a guy and a girl who are going to be stepping in completely different places and diff- responding in completely different ways to the call of God in their life. What I want you to hear from them is where they're stepping and how they see God moving in that and what they see God calling them to do in that. And also looking back even in their own college experience and, and looking back and saying, hey, if, if I could have been in your shoes a few years ago, what would I have told you? What would I have wanted to have heard years and years ago? So Jordan's going to come up, and then after Jordan's done, Kelsey's going to come up as well. Howdy. My name is Jordan Latimer, proudest member of the Fighting Texas Aggie class of 2010. Okay. That was better than I thought it would be. I'm graduating in six days. I studied business. I was in PPA with, in the finance track. Um, I'll be moving to Dallas in, uh, to work for an investment management firm in August. And I also can't believe that my fifth year is almost over. So I went to East Asia with Grace in the summer of 08. I loved it. I highly recommend going. In fact, this morning I got an update letter from an Aggie that's over there right now. And it's just a really awesome thing that's going on. There's, such, there's just amazing things going on. So when you first come home from overseas, it's kind of funny, but everybody goes through this similar decompression phase. And there's a couple of things that happen. First, you relearn to speak American, as they say. And basically, while you're over there, you, you learn to slow down so that uh, the people in East Asia can understand you. And then um, you have to relearn how to use contractions, and you have to get your comedic timing back. So, secondly, 
Second, you, you let your uh, body functions normalize, which I'm not going to go into any details on that. And then there's always something else, a craving of some sort that everybody missed and they want to have. For some people, it was uh, normal bathrooms, which I think was understandable. For other people, it's something weird like the honey barbecue chicken strip sandwich from Whataburger. And then everybody does this together. It's, you begin to process what God has been teaching. You begin to pray, and you ask him what, he, what he's trying to show you. And pretty much everybody does this. And the question I ask myself is, where am I called? To business or to ministry? And that's how it took form for me. It may be the same question for engineers, econ majors, ag majors, med students, just in different industries. Um, a couple of things I want to point out about that question. First, uh, the notion of being called. I wanted to have a plan. I didn't like the uncertainty about the direction and future. But more than that, I didn't like not having things figured out, especially when people would ask me. I wanted to have a cohesive, impressive answer. And that creates a lot of pressure to have it figured out because I, I got asked that question a lot. But really, even up to the point of the, the big decisions in my life, I have not had a lot of certainty. And at times, there's been a lot of doubt. And so over the last few years, for me, there's been doors open and closed to bring me to where I am today. Um, it was not until less than a month from graduating that I actually found out with certainty where I was going to be working. And by the way, when those doors close, it's sort of like getting a punch in the stomach, but you can see in retrospect that it's God's blessing and how he directs your path. So not to rely on Garth Brooks for theological insight, but sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Um, Proverbs says it well. A person plans his course, but the Lord directs his steps. There's our plans, which are really small, and then there's God's plans, which are really big, and we just don't always know what's, what's going to happen. But he does promise us that I will guide you in the way of wisdom, and I will lead you in upright paths. And it's amazing that God will not leave us, and he will not forsake us in these decisions. And the direction comes for different times at different people. I didn't always have peace, but I hope you can find comfort if you're in a place where you don't know what's going to happen or you don't know where you're supposed to be. The second thing about that question is I tended to frame it like that, just business or ministry, and that's probably an oversimplification. The question assumes that business is not ministry and that ministry is not business. It assumes that there is an overlap, and it assumes that the decision is made once and for all. So I ask the question that way, but in reality, things are not so clear-cut. Finally, I want to talk about just business as ministry. Grace's mission is to raise up next-generation leaders to reach our world for Christ. And the beauty of it is that that can take all sorts of forms and shapes, and it doesn't have to be decided all at once. So what does it look like to do business as ministry? I don't really know for sure. You might ask me in a year, and I'll have different opinions. But right now, I think there's a couple of things. There's certain temptations that are unique to going into business. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it needs to be guarded against. And by the way, you don't have to have money to love it too much. Ambition and hunger uh, for power can produce great pride. Work can become an idol. It's a good idea to have our priorities straight before we embark down this path. Ambition can be really dangerous, and the biblical examples or stories are really interesting. Joseph receives a vision from God and a dream that his brothers are going to bow down to him. It's that vision and the sharing of that vision that lands him in prison for 10 years, but Joseph ends up running the world's most powerful nation of the day, and, and this was in order to keep God's promise to Abraham and preserve God's people through a terrible famine. So the story wasn't about God's, Joseph's abilities. It was about God's sovereign power over the lives of people and his steadfastness in keeping promises. There's also Nehemiah who uses influence to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. He was a leader who prayed before the moments of speaking with kings. David rose to great power, had his missteps, what was still known as a man after God's heart. Even Paul was so humble and would become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. Paul himself 
took up a, his job as a tent maker at times. So what does gospel-centered business look like? Essentially, it can take a number of different forms. Evangelism, I think, is huge. I think the people that you meet in your workplace are your mission field. That's definitely part of it. I think there's a lot more, though. Your community is so important. Surrounding yourself with godly people and submitting to the authority of church and all of it. Trusting your leaders because they keep watch over you, like over your souls, like shepherds. Stewardship, that you would use your resources for the kingdom, that you would bring glory to God. The kind of worker and manager that you are can bring praise to the Lord. Leading with ethical values, bringing people together, organizing to support missions. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So as you think and pray through what you're going to do with your lives, I hope you guys can find rest in the salvation given by Jesus Christ and that you would trust that he will not ever forsake you, that you would not base your decisions on fear, but a sense of vision and purpose, that you would enjoy each other, that you are uniquely different, have a particular role in the body, and that in Christ, and only in Christ, you will find peace, knowing that you can and will fulfill your role, and that you'll do it well. Okay, howdy. My name's Kelsey Bales, and I'm class of 2011. Yay! Okay, so a little bit, I'm going to give you like a background of my college experience, basically. But I've always been a planner, and when I was little, my mom could never keep a surprise from me, because once I knew that there was a surprise, I had to know what it was, and I got it out of her. And so throughout college, I was like constantly worried about what I was going to do next. I guess that was my big question and I remember as far back as freshman year being worried if I was, like, stressing about if I was going to have a job after I graduate. And so the combination of my type A personality and my desire to plan didn't really leave room for me to listen to God or His plan for me. So my major was finance uh, when I entered college, and, you know, I liked math, and my dad was a finance major, and I figured I'd be good at it. I also assumed that I would enter the corporate world and get a job, um, but I remember when I first thought of ministry as an option, there was I was in a sorority and I was sitting in a meeting and a girl announced that she just got into Dallas Theological Seminary. And her, her announcement planted the seed that, hey, that could be my full-time job. Like, I didn't even realize that was an option before. So over the next few years of college, I became more and more excited about entering the ministry world. At first, I was drawn to it because it wasn't the corporate world. I was fearful that I would be consumed by ambition or monetary success or materialism, like we talked about today, if I entered the corporate world. But fear should never be our driving force, um, because fear is the absence of faith. So the second kind of reason that led me to ministry was, after going on Summer Project, which I also recommend Summer Project, this past summer, I learned about the vast needs of ministry in the ministry world. So yes, we need missionaries and pastors and teachers, but we also need accountants and administrators to lead behind the scenes. So I became passionate about the idea of serving ministry in this way. So there's three big things that I learned throughout my senior year, and they are identity in Christ, that God's plans overrule my own, and that ultimately it's about glorifying God. So I graduated in December, actually, um, which was a semester earlier than I planned. And I've stayed here in College Station, obviously, and worked. Um, my new job became a babysitter, and I really wrestled with this identity because that was not at all what I had in mind after I, my, for my first job after I graduate. Um, 
In fact, I usually tried to avoid mentioning to people that I was a babysitter because I was pretty embarrassed. Um, but I've learned that my identity comes from Christ, not my job, not from my friends or from my family um, or my successes in life. And in fact, after graduation, no one really questioned my decision to stay here or look down on me because I didn't have a job that related to my major. So that might be good news for y'all. Secondly, I learned that it's not exactly about me and my plans. Before this past year, when I would hear the verse Jeremiah 29, 11, I would often think, okay, this is good. I don't really need to worry because I know that God has great plans hidden my way. And I don't really agree with that anymore, um, mainly because we already have the greatest blessing, and that's salvation. And so any other blessing may not necessarily be what we're expecting. And so my point here is that sometimes God's plans need to be from God's perspective and not from my perspective of what's a good plan or not. Um, And then thirdly, I learned about glorifying God. And this past semester, I was trying to narrow down my options for life after life after college, basically. Um, And (laughs) I learned that me choosing the best job or route isn't nearly important as me choosing the best job or route that can glorify God in the best way. So in other words, it isn't the choice that matters. It's my action of glorifying him, no matter where I am or what I'm doing. That does matter. Um, So this next school year, I'll be a college intern here at Grace at Southwood. Um, And so I'll be on staff here to help serve y'all. And so I'm excited as to how I'm going to glorify God next year, and this entire ministry is going to glorify God. Um, But I'm also excited as to how I'll be molded and shaped. Um, And again, kind of like what Jordan was hinting at, I know that I want to do ministry in my life. I just don't know what that looks like, if that's um, being a missionary, going to seminary, doing ministry administrations, or even having a corporate job and doing ministry. there. And so I'm excited and looking forward to learning and growing um, and attempting to discern, yet be flexible with God's plans for me as they come. And then my final advice for all of y'all is about consistency. I think it's very important to be consistent with our lifestyles now as we prepare for life after college. Um, This may mean being consistent with your walk in the Lord, having a quiet time, coming to church, being in Bible study, but it could also mean being consistent by eating full meals regularly or having a healthy body working out or just getting a full night's sleep consistently. And so my reasoning for this is because if we aren't consistent with our lifestyle now, how are we going to be consistent with our lifestyle later? So that's all I have for now, but I look forward to getting to know y'all next year. Thank you. Jordan Latimer and Kelsey Bales have uh, been serving here in the small group ministry with us here at Southwood uh, this year, and so it's been a joy to have them and watch them serve faithfully, but also I, I wanted you guys to hear from them, each of them. With Kelsey being here at Southwood next year, I wanted you guys to get to see her and get to know her a little bit better, and then also uh, with Jordan and Kelsey, both going really very different ways, um, and, and wanting y'all to get a vision and a glimpse as to people heading different directions, and yet both honoring the Lord, both uh, watching and listening to whatever the Lord would lead, and so I hope you guys are encouraged by that and by their stories. Um, we're, what we're going to do is we kind of wrap up this spring is I kind of I wanted to have a little time for prayer and so if uh, first of all if you are heading overseas on a missions trip this summer uh, would you guys stand up and come forward actually so uh, if you're going overseas this summer or even this upcoming year would you guys uh, come on forward you're like please don't let me be the only person all right as they as they come forward uh, uh, if you are a graduating senior will you stay in your place but just stand uh, this morning 
you're a graduating senior, will you just stand up in your spot? Awesome. I want you guys, just as a group, to kind of see one. Uh, here, even just at our Southwood campus, how many people are going overseas this summer? Uh, it wasn't just Jordan and Kelsey, and I'll take it as an opportunity to say yet again, uh, before you graduate, get a chance, get a summer to go overseas. It will change your perspective on life, it'll change your perspective on the world, and it will change your perspective on who God is, how big God is, and how God is moving throughout the nations. It's a fantastic opportunity. And so we're going to pray for uh, our summer, uh, our people going overseas, and then also I want to pray for you guys, for you seniors who are graduating, who uh, we won't get have a chance to get to walk with you guys next year necessarily, unless you're doing grad school or getting a job here in town. But let me say to you guys, who are graduating. Thank you guys for worshiping with us. Thank you guys for being involved here and serving. And uh, we are mindful of you guys a ton and love to hear from you guys as y'all take off. And so let me pray for y'all this morning. Father God, we give you great thanks for the way that you're moving in this place. And thank you that there's a whole stage full of people here, even just at our Southwood campus, of people who are going overseas, who are going to take the gospel of Christ uh, across the world, sometimes across a border here in our own hemisphere, or sometimes across uh, uh, the oceans to, to people they've never met, to people that they won't understand necessarily, apart from a translator, to people um, that they have no idea what their culture is like. Lord, I pray that you would give them great courage. Father, I pray for those who are raising support that you would provide for them and that you would provide for their finances, that you would provide even in the midst of their fears, that you would answer every fear, every concern, that you'd show yourself good and faithful in the midst of all that they're wondering about. Father, pray for them this summer, Lord, that you would use them magnificently. Uh, Lord, for those that are building wells, for those that are building uh, churches and houses, that you would give them skill, that you would allow them to leave a practical benefit behind, that they'd have an impact not just on buildings and organizations and churches and facilities, Lord, but I pray for them and all those that are going, Lord, that you'd allow them to be great spokespeople for your gospel, for your hope, and for your peace. Uh, Father, I pray that they could impart a message that would change cultures, that would change lives. Lord, may you sovereignly anoint and may you prepare the lives of those that they're going to interact with, Lord, that you would be working in those people's lives even now to move them to a place of readiness to hear of the gospel of grace. Father, for those that are graduating, Lord, for those that are taking off from our place and from this, our midst, Lord, I pray uh, for those that are taking off and yet still don't have jobs yet, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them, that you would remind them afresh of your presence, that you've not departed from them, Lord. I pray that you would show your goodness to them, Lord, that you would provide for them and that you would give them peace in the midst of uncertainty. Uh, Lord, that you would open doors and jobs and that you would open places for them to serve. And Lord, for them and, and for those that have jobs also, Lord, we pray that you'd land them in businesses, that you'd land them in homes, that you'd land them in apartment complexes where they could represent you, where they could be a light for you, that they could be salty and winsome, um, that the world would be drawn to their lives in the way that they walk. Father, I pray that you would give them uh, excellence, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them um, skill in their jobs and that they could represent you in every way. Uh, and for those that are going to be managing, for those that are going to have not just teams, but even those that are under them, Lord, I pray that they could lead with graciousness, they could lead with gentleness, that you'd use them uh, in significant ways wherever they step, Lord. And Father, I pray for us as we take off that you would give us all, whether we're returning here in a few weeks, in a few months, or maybe in a few years, Lord, I pray for all of us that you would give us purity to seek you. You give us a passion for you in the midst of transition, that you give us consistency to hear your voice together with your people and to commit to the work that you've called us to, Lord. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. You guys, thanks for being here this semester. And for those of y'all who will be here this summer, we'll see y'all this summer. And otherwise, we'll see y'all this upcoming fall. Love you guys. Y'all have a great summer.